from the Purple Mountain Majesties. This is Pod Bless America. I am Zach Paris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder uh, and America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, Naropa University. Uh, with me, as always, is Peter Severson, uh, director of Lutheran Advocacy Ministry, Colorado. Uh, say hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. It's it, always a pleasure to greet you, Zach, from unincorporated Adams County, the best unincorporated county in the state of Colorado. I think, well, I mean, the counties exist, right? It's not like you're like on unclaimed territory in the United States, right? Well, right. We do. We're under the authority of the Adams County Sheriff. So if anything, if anything goes awry down here, the bishop gets out of line. We can always we can always call the sheriff. You know, there are some in our western United States who think that the county sheriff should be the highest law enforcement authority in the nation. Every county is under a sheriff, and that's that's the only executive you need. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out a lot. So. Turns out. Anyway, speaking of things going wrong, uh, we have a guest with us today, Peter. Uh, very excited that we have with us Dr. Jim White. He's a professor of geological sciences at the University of Colorado Boulder, former president of the Lutheran Campus Ministry uh, Board of Directors here at the University of Colorado, member of Trinity Lutheran Church in downtown Boulder, uh, director of INSTAR, uh, which is the Institute for Arctic and Alpine Research. Very glad to have you with us today, Jim. Great to be here. I've been unincorporated Boulder County. Oh, unincorporated Boulder. That's an even more lawless territory, perhaps. It's total lawless. Did Zach get those in the right order? Is it Arctic and Alpine Research or Alpine and Arctic Research? It's Arctic and Alpine Research, Peter. Okay. All right. Are we sure it's not atmospheric? He, he occasionally gets it right, and he got it. You know, what, what's the old saying? The blind pig and the acorn. Okay. <laughs> Nail one. Oh my goodness! Now, not only do we have the illustrious doctor professor, but we have we have an infant joining us to remind us that we're all getting older, and that the future is in the hands of the children. Well, I think it's it's actually very uh, apropos because we are talking about things that uh, will affect her more than it'll affect us. So. Well, that's absolutely right. Now, Zach, I feel like we, uh, we we sort of buried the lead that, that last week we were talking with uh, our colleague Cherie Green from Lutheran Disaster Response. We had a, a foretaste of this feast to come because we were talking about disasters and how many of them are um, precipitated more frequently due to the effects of climate change and increasing extreme weather behaviors that derive therefrom. I suppose this would be a perfect opener to ask our guest, what is the future? If you could just tell us the future, I would feel a lot more secure. <laughs> well, I'm not sure you would feel a lot more secure. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Okay. Well, uh, I'll steal myself for it. But we're, we're, we're interested to know, um, just kind of segging from last week to this week, we, we want you to share a little bit about what, what it is you do and the, the work, the research that you do, the, the, and, and also what you teach. But uh, but we're interested in this connection, I think, right off the bat between a change in climate and uh, extreme weather and uh, what we're what we're in for. Yeah. Well, I uh, many, many years ago chose two areas of study. Uh, one is the, the modern what we call the modern carbon cycle. So if you put carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, what happens to it? Does it go into plants by photosynthesis? Does it dissolve in the ocean? Does it stay in the atmosphere? Carbon, like everything else on our planet, cycles around, moves around. 
So that that was one of the things I was interested in. The other was uh, the, how the climate system functions. And uh, my focus there has historically been through ice cores. So I go to places like uh, Antarctica and Greenland and um, we collect ice cores um, and we measure how the, the climate system has behaved in the past. We can do things like compare climate change with the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So we can do things like scale that, that relationship. We can also I, just get a basic idea of, of how the climate system functions. One of the, I think, great blessings that we have on this planet is that um, the basic operation of the planet is, is controlled by some physical laws or principles that, that aren't violated. We don't have mornings in which we wake up plastered to the ceiling of our bedroom, annoyed at the fact that gravity is not working today. Hmm. I think there may be some nuance to that. Some of our mornings are, are a little different than others mornings. You can't speak for Zach's mornings. It didn't really happen. Um, and that's, that's an important point because there's a lot of, uh, if you understand the physics and chemistry of how the planet works, how God made this world, then you can, then predictability is built into that. You can, so for example, we know that if you put lots of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, you will change climate. There is no, um, no two ways around that. That's the, the way the climate system functions. Uh, and we have added lots of CO2 and lots of methane, lots of nitrous oxide to the atmosphere. And we are way out of balance with what we were even 50 years ago on this planet. Mm. Um, and things, climate is changing, weather is changing, and there are even more profound changes to come uh, the, that, that are very, very easily predicted. A warmer planet, for example, means warmer air and warmer water, and that means that land ice melts. And when land ice melts, sea level rises. And not by a few inches, it, it's by tens of feet. And so, you know, eventually you're looking at uh, the, the need to uh, move out of Miami and Norfolk and um, a lot of the coastal cities around the world. Um, and you're looking at a lot of refugees. You're looking at a lot of, um, of real inequities. The, 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 poor, the poorer countries will struggle with this, the richer countries. You know, we can move the people in Miami. I'm not sure we can do that elegantly, but we can do it. But we can do it way more elegantly than Bangladesh can or, mm -hmm. uh, or other countries. So uh, there's a lot, of, of, uh, a lot that we can predict that's going to happen. And we can talk about weather and climate here as well. But there's a, um, I think there's, you know, certainly some uncertainty down the road. Future is always a little bit funky. But the, uh, thanks to the predictability of climate system and uh, functions, we know there's going to be some. Hmm. We, know, we know that little girl is going to see some, some things that we would would really surprise us. Hmm. She's she's not a very good swimmer. I just that's worth noting. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's on you at this point, though, isn't it? You need to work on that. Oh, oh yeah. God. I mean, I've thrown her into several bodies of water, and she's just right to the bottom. <laughs> Jim just said that the, these changes are predictable, and so you, I feel like you should be on top of mm. teaching your child how to swim. It's yeah. her future, that's not mine. Well, all right. <laughs> Great parenting is what we teach on this podcast. That's if nothing else. <laughs> wow. So that's, I mean, that really sort of lays out, you know, those of us who are non-scientists, but that respect the um, integrity of the scientific method and inquiry would, would sort of, that's sort of a known quantity, right? That the climate's going to change and that we're going to see pretty significant effects from that. And yeah. yet 
I am just amazed that the Chinese government is funding you to go to Greenland and Antarctica because, you know, climate change is, of course, a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese and uh, according to our 45th president. So I, I wonder what response do you have to the charges that China made it up? Well, China didn't make it up. <laughs> well, there you have it. I mean, that's really it's all it needs to be Breaking said. news. If, if China was giving me money to go do ice core work, I'd like them to make sure that they check the address on those checks because I'm not getting them. Yeah. <laughs> You're owed much back pay. Yes. No, this is a, uh, um, I don't, you know, there's a lot of politics in climate change for reasons that I'm not, you know, I don't honestly don't understand as, as a, I'm primarily a scientist, which makes me uh, ill-equipped to understand a lot of these political machinations. But the, you know, as I said, the, the, one of the, one of the beauties of, of this world that we have stewardship over is that uh, there there's predictability and uh, you know our president and, and his friends can say what they want but that's not going to stop climate from changing and it's not going to stop sea level from rising and it's not going to stop a bunch of refugees from from being uh, created um, it's not going to stop the problems you know at some point down the road they're all they're going to need to back up and go oh we were wrong about that the difficulty quite honestly Peter is that the uh, again our, our planet has some rules that are rather inconvenient. Most of the planet is covered with water, 75% of it's water. Water has something called heat capacity, so it takes water a long time to warm up and a long time to cool off. In simple terms, we've turned the thermostat up already by having 400 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere. We don't have a warmer, really warm planet yet because the ocean hasn't warmed up. The ocean will warm up, and once it warms up, then, then it doesn't cool off very rapidly either. In other words, our planet operates on timescales of 50 years to 100 years that our political systems don't operate on. Mm-hmm. That fundamental mismatch is a real problem and one that we have to address. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I think that looking at this through the lens of what's right and what's wrong and what's morally defensible and what's morally indefensible, I think that's the right lens to do it. Because you really, it, we have to be able to step out of a comfort zone we have with two-year, four-year kind of politics and start thinking in terms of Zelda timescales. And that's, that's not easy for us to do. We don't do it very well. I, I feel like that would involve acknowledging that we're not the center of yes. the universe. <laughs> that, or that, that our specific human moment right in this exact year is not the... Uh, end all and be all of what is and was and is to come. And yet that's so hard to break out of. I mean, we're like you say, we're locked into these political cycles that to say nothing, we could say a lot about the, the current administration in the U.S. Where, where we're just lurching from one thing to the next without being able to sort of even grasp one problem. To say nothing, though, of, of thinking, as you said, in a, like a generational timescale, that seems like the kind of thing that would require, you know, extraordinary cooperation among world governments and, and foresight to understand that you know, future generations that exist and that are yet to come have rights that we are already violating by not stewarding creation as if as well as we could by shifting our carbon output patterns like that kind of thing. Um, is there I mean, you, you describe yourself as a scientist, which makes sense to me, first and foremost. But is there is there a dimension at all in, ter- in the work that you do of 
considering that kind of like rights or human rights language and and does that get rolled into the the way that you teach potentially or things that you share in that in the classroom um where does that intersection occur that intersection occurs uh, very strongly in the kind of work that i do because human beings are the major agent of change in in the world today you if you want to understand the situation we're in, if you want to have any kind of predictability for the future, you've got to understand something about what drives human behavior. Um, and that's the, the biggest wild card in all of the uh, models that we have for future climate is what are human beings going to do? And so <clears throat> things like environmental policy, environmental economics, and very, very importantly, environmental ethics um, and uh, the importance of religion in the, the discussion of uh, how we steward the planet. These are all parts of what we do when I, when I teach. I teach a course on energy and environment. I also teach introduction to environmental studies. And those are all topics that we cover. Mm. You have to cover them. You can't, you can't just say, all right, I'm, I'm going to talk about the planet and I'm not going to talk about human beings because I don't want to get messy. You know, <laughs> you've got to get messy. <laughs> human beings are messy. There, there's like that. There's Zach's a daughter is a good example. Here real soon, so. Yeah, you no, mean, my daughter concurs with that. That's uh, we can we can we can uh, we can issue a study. We we can we can write a paper. Uh, it's true. Human beings are messy. Um, Peter, a thing that you said that struck me uh, is you said that um, that part of of responding to and engaging constructively in, in in climate change is acknowledging that we're not the center of the universe, center of the world. Um, and, and what connected for me was I spent some time, our students spent some time with uh, Ben Stewart, who's the liturgy professor professor at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago uh, last mm. spring break. And one of the presentations that he led in regards to, to our relationship as, as humans uh, with the fullness of creation is that, that a distinctive mark of Christianity is that we lack uh, an axis mundi, uh, that Christians don't have a center of the universe. Uh, there's not a mecca um, we don't have a temple mount uh, in the same way that, that uh, Judaism does, which we got to experience recently in Israel and Palestine, that the Christian holy sites are not that impressive, especially compared to, to the, uh, the Jewish and, and Muslim holy sites, because the sites themselves don't have that significance for us. They're not the center of the universe. Um, mm. So when you go to the holy sepulcher, where the, the, according to legend, the cross was, it's holy, but it's... What that site proclaims as a Lutheran is that it proclaims that the center of the universe is wherever that cross is found. Um, so not just that place, but in every time and place. And mm. and I think the twist that, that I would put on that, right, is that, that in a sense we are the center of the universe, but that my call as a Christian is to recognize that you, that the other is the center of my universe. And that's mm. a very difficult countercultural thing to hear, right, but might move us to, to engage faithfully on behalf of others if we see them as the center of the universe. I don't think uh, talking about Florida helps us in this regard because no one likes Florida. I mean, like, that's I not mean, a... If we're looking to... to, to there's a few Floridians. <laughs> Jeb Bush presumably <laughs> likes Florida. Marco Rubio. There are lots of uh, good reasons. Donald Trump likes Florida. <laughs> yeah. Walt My grandfather Disney, loved I mean, Florida. Yes. A lot of old retirees. Let's not poo poo Florida. No, but if uh, I can find a way to die to myself and find something redeemable in Florida, I might care a little more or find Floridians. Be, 
redeemable. A beautiful challenge to you. That's a really fascinating formulation, though, Zach. I've, I've not heard it put that way. Um, the lack of an axis mundi concept in uh, in Christianity. I mean, it sounds a, a lot like actually something that I had thought of as 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 the professor was talking was a proclamation in the Pope's encyclical. Uh, I believe it's called Laudato Si, which was released si. a couple years ago. Is yeah, his uh, his encyclical on the environment and uh, addressing development and uh, environmental degradation and that kind of thing. And I, a lot of what that did, if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, I at the time we it sort of circulated around in our advocacy community. It, it talked about the pursuit of profit as sort of the reason, as really the primary reason that the environment is being so degraded and that it, that's, and that the, the search for profit is, is fundamentally an egotistical search, that it's all about profiting you personally. And if we, if we really understood profiting others, that it wouldn't necessarily be about um, enriching ourselves by exploiting the natural world, but that it would be, you know, trying to mitigate climate change and avoid irresponsible like reckless development and that kind of thing. And so when you say that our axis mundi is sort of seeing, I can't remember how you put it, seeing my greatest value in in you or in, an, in another, that seems to jive very closely with, with what I read in that. I mean, we obviously in the Lutheran tradition don't have a uh, sort of papal figure. We don't have encyclicals, as it were. But I feel like we can... We can value uh, what what that has to say, especially as as you said, Professor, that the human element is can't be lost in this. And I mean, if you're going to talk about the human impact with climate issues, what the leader of a world religion with a billion followers says about the environment, in theory, should have some bearing on how people behave. Well, Frankie and I, we we really talked through this together, so I'm glad that it <laughs> it shows. Uh, uh, <laughs> The one area where where, where uh, Frank and I disagree is a thing that I learned and prep- I prepare for the podcast. That's why I knew Arctic yes. and then Alpine. Uh, is that uh, <laughs> that it is the Holy See, the Vatican City, uh, along with Nicaragua and uh, Syria, did not sign on to the Paris Climate Agreement. Evidently, there's some like paperworky sorts of things, and that they're just an observer and stuff. But worth noting. Get your stuff together, Frankie. But but that's uh, what, what prompted this podcast um, in, in getting this episode together was uh, President Trump's uh, announcement that he intended to, to pull us out of the Paris Agreement. But that won't, I guess, be effective until November 4th, 2020. Does that, by which time there might, perhaps there would be a new administration in control of things. Does it matter between now and 2020 intending to pull out? It, no, it's, um, there's a lot of theater here. And the actual action is less obvious than the theater. I think it is very true that if the United States says we're going to pull out, that sends a message to um, our cities and states and industries, etc. And an um, act of solidarity with Syria. Right. And an act right. of <laughs> uh, Oh, boy. It, it does send a message and it does... Um, delay action uh, at a time when we really can't afford to delay action. You know, once again, the planet works on a, uh, um, a delayed reaction kind of system. You don't get instant gratification on our planet. Um, you get a delayed reaction. And we're at 400 parts per million CO2. That's, that's more CO2 than has been in the atmosphere uh, since maybe four or five million years ago. And at mm. that time, sea level was in the order of about 60 feet higher and it was a much warmer planet. 
And uh, what we know from studying the planet is if we just left CO2 alone right now and just let the thing come to equilibrium, um, sea level would rise and and climates would change and and, uh, plants would go extinct. Uh, We would, as, as I like to say, be flunking stewardship 101. The longer we wait to deal with these problems, the bigger the problems are going to be. Keep in mind, they're not just big problems for us. They're big problems for uh, ocean ecosystems. They're big problems for fish. They're big problems for, you know, if you're a species that's going extinct, that's a big problem. And it's a big problem from a stewardship point of view and not just, yeah, the species is going extinct. So there's a, um, the longer we wait, the longer we deny reality, the harder it is to deal with the, the problem. And so this is, while there's a lot of symbolism involved in the U.S. pulling out of Paris, it's, it's more of a lack of action, I would say, than it is a, uh, uh, a strong push in a different direction. It, the, the reality is that we burn, you know, our, our energy supply today is predominantly coal, oil, and natural gas. In the industrialized world, it's about 85%. You know, while while other forms of energy are growing, uh, it's still very much a fossil fuel world. It's mm. not as if we're you know we're going back. It's not as if we slip down to maybe fifty percent. We're going to go back. In order to, to in order to, to solve this problem, we've got to move away from carbon producing fuels into other fuels, and mm-hmm. it's, it's that lack of inaction that is really you know what's what's making Zelda's future uh, cloudier than it needs to be. And we don't like the clouds which we actually it's a cloudy day here in colorado which is unusual for such a sunny place but it fits the tenor of our conversation yeah uh you know i I had two thoughts uh from what based on what you said one i guess the the first one is i wonder if is is it heartening at all to you to see in response to the executive branch's action that so many American cities and states have taken up this mantle saying, you know, we are in our own way going to commit to the Paris Climate Accords somehow and do what we can, knowing, of course, that acting on a national scale is different than acting on a sort of more local scale. But is that heartening at all or useful as a response to what the executive branch has done? I think it's very heartening and I think it is very useful. You know, I think if, if you want to look for the silver lining in this particular cloud, it's that um, people have been galvanized. People are taking action. Cities are taking action. States are taking action. Keep in mind, it's a global economy. And, I, you know, there are probably a lot of businesses that you don't even hear about that are still moving towards a more sustainable energy future because they have to do business with Europe, because they have to do business with China, but also because they think it's a good idea. I think it's very clear that... There's a minority who are denying the reality of uh, climate change. It happens to be a very important minority because they're in power, but it's still a minority. And we still have a country that is very individualistic in terms of our actions. And so, yes, you know, cities and states around the country are, are probably stepping up their game and saying, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're not only going to push for uh, a different energy future, we're going to push harder now than we would have otherwise. Yeah, that's that's kind of what California said. They said, yep. you know, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to do this anyway. And we are such a large portion of the U.S. economy that, you know, leadership on this issue matters for us. And so, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I was I took some heart in that, <laughs> at least knowing that so many of our, our big cities and there, there's a lot of people out there that are really committed to yeah. this. 
I've heard uh, you talk about this kind of stuff a number of times before, and the thing I appreciate about it and, and is consistent, right, is what I hear you saying about the the consistency of uh, of the science of of the planet. It is what it is. We can't uh, change the way the system works, um, and what we do, we know how it will affect uh, the larger system. Um, and my daughter agrees with that. Yes. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> Oh, there, I think there's a way in which climate change is not so much a, a science problem, but but in a real sense, a theological problem that that so much, as you said, so much of our understanding of the world and how we live in it is is framed in this very individualistic mm-hmm. manner that we think in much smaller time scales than just smaller scales across the board, no matter what it is we're, we're measuring. And so I wonder, with so many folks uh, galvanized and excited, uh, we're quick to think of, of, of searching for individual ways of responding and getting engaged. And sometimes I think that's hard for me to, to reconcile that sort of, I want to be a good individual, uh, I want to individually work for this thing, but also recognizing that it's it's a large scale problem. Um, so what can, uh, we have listeners, we have tens of listeners. Um, <laughs> uh, some of them though, uh, right, are parts of uh, communities, uh, larger communities, congregations, communities of faith, uh, municipalities, Elks clubs, Elks lodges, I'm sure. What should folks who are excited, um, who are energized, what should they do? What's the best next step for folks? The best next step for folks is to talk about this subject with your friends and neighbors. It's very clearly a polarizing topic. All sorts of studies have shown that your position on climate change and your political affiliations uh, correlate very, very strongly. We are becoming a Uh, a a world, a nation, and certainly a country of two sides. And if those two sides aren't talking to each other, then we're not going to, it's going to be very difficult to move the the ball up the hill. And so I think if nothing else, talk about this with your friends and, and, you know, recognize that it, you know, it can sometimes be dangerous. I've seen Thanksgiving dinners blow up, Mm. but at the same time, um, the, the, uh, the beauty of the topic is that, uh, you know, it is at its core, as you were saying, really. Uh, is that a, a geology re- joke? No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. At its core. At its core. <laughs> this could be it ice is, core. It could be the uh, Earth's core. There's so many geological cores we could go with here. At its center <laughs> is it, is, are things like, um, like, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And. You know, what, what is our relationship with our God and, you know, big issues that, you know, people, you know, you can look at this, that this topic in ways that I think can bring people together. You know, I have a lot of friends who are pretty hardcore conservatives and, and we get along, we talk about it. I'm pretty sure they disagree with me on a lot of things and I disagree with them on a lot of things, but, but you've got to keep the, the dialogue going. You've got to keep the conversation going. The other thing that people can do is care about this talk, care about the future. Um, and what I mean by that is when you go into the voting booth, make this one of the topics that you vote about. If, if the person you're voting for has a position on this and it's not one you like, don't vote for them. Even if, even if you like other things that they do. Elevate this topic to something uh, higher in your thought process. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, a lot of times that takes... That takes stepping out of our own ego, of our own 
itself and looking at the bigger problem and looking at how this affects others. How does this affect future generations? How does it affect women? How does it affect the poor? Uh, you know, these are all of the very important questions that are wrapped around this topic. Hmm. You look at it that way, I think you, you come to different conclusions. Yeah. That's, I mean, you say use, elevate it in your, in your sort of, um, you use the specific example of, you know, political, you know, democratic voting, like make it, make it a bigger issue. But that's, I remember that being a, one of the biggest things I took away from a, I mean, a very introductory course that I took on this as an undergrad. I mean, the idea that this is such a huge, overwhelming subject matter and, and it can feel really overwhelming and impossible to do anything personally about. But if there is one thing you can do, it is make it a more important priority just in the way that you consume things in the world, in, in the decisions you make about how you get from one place to another. Maybe you're going to bike to work once a week or something, which is something that I've committed to doing. Or maybe you're going to buy different products that have certain certifications for how they're made or, or whatever it is, like just something that will steward creation better. Um, I give, I give credit to my professor in that course is my, Michael Oppenheimer, who is, a um, you know, very knowledgeable guy. And, and this is a very like introductory course that must've been knowing, knowing now what I know about his background in climate. Uh, I know my, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I figured you would. He's, he's, uh, yeah, it, this was a very low level course for people like myself that were not, um, majoring in the hard sciences or the soft sciences, any of the sciences. So, um, yeah, credit to him, but I appreciate you echoing that. And yes, all <laughs> I consider, I consider politics and religion to be very art heavy. Yeah. areas i have a big you know you can't see it in the video here but i have a big caravaggio on my wall uh, which really sort of illustrates the profound wrenching uh soul crushing weight of a lot of things in religion and politics so caravaggio sounds delicious it's almost lunchtime um <laughs> yeah um, you know i think with with studies, one of the the studies, the uh, Pew study that came out not uh, just a couple month or so ago, my daughter agrees with it. Uh, found that folks are much more likely to change uh, churches than political affiliation, and so I um, I'm struck by uh, convicted by the need for um, maybe some of the most important work uh, in this. Uh, with this issue is among those of us in religious communities uh, to develop communities uh, where we can hear things we don't want to hear and not take our ball and go to the the variety that says all the things we want to hear and that we have a real obligation to to the world right to to foster those sorts of places I, I agree a hundred percent I certainly there are members of Trinity who have heard me speak and who disagree with things that I have to say about climate change but that doesn't mean we still can't have conversations. That doesn't mean we still can't take communion together. That's, you know, that, that doesn't mean we still can't have those conversations. As a matter of fact, we can have those conversations a little more easily mm -hmm. because we are part of a faith community, because we're part of a faith family. And I think that, that is, it, it's a good place. It's a safe place, if you will, to have some of these conversations. 
or I would say safer. I mean, we can always blow up over right. various topics, but um, it's a safer place to have. I mean, I think the only way to have the kinds of conversations that, that change us, right, is through meaningful relationships that are that are already existing, you know, um, yeah. which is a challenge to, to all of us. I, I agree. I, I, uh, I, I had an opportunity at Trinity to just between services, they asked me to sort of talk about water, um, which is one of the subjects that I study. And it was a lot of fun because we, you know, um, water is a huge problem around the world. There's a lot of inequities. It's very tied to climate. It's very tied to weather. Obviously, it ain't raining, you ain't got no water. That's my East Tennessee roots coming through there in my language, by the way. Um, but the, uh, um, it was an opportunity to, to you know, talk to the, to the members of the adult education community, wanted to hear about parts of how the planet functions and how they weren't working all that well for many of, of God's children. I mean, it's kind of a downer thing, but it's, it is a, you know, there's a, um, I think there's a lot of, uh, uplifting, strengthening. You understand how the planet functions. You hmm. understand better what the solutions are. You understand better, you know, that in solutions lie in some very wonderful places in terms of, yes, I mean, if we really did embrace our children and love our children and care about our children, if we, you know, if we treated the, the least of these um, as we would ourselves, it, it you know, you, you move the needle towards more sustainable practices. And which is, mm. I, I find really enlightening. I find it more than enlightening. It's very much empowering. It sounds like what you're advocating for is a system that puts people above profit. To me, that seems like what we're, we're sort of landing on that. It's, it's not even the root of just this issue, but so many others, but you know, if we if we cared about people, if we cared about the young children, such as the one that we are seeing right now on the screen, our listeners can't see, but they can hear that if we truly if we truly cared about the future of all children and and thought about what it would take together to to put them in position to have a safe and healthy future that. It might it might move us to do a lot different things than we do right now to, to really relocate. I just keep coming back to that image, Zach, because I, I found I find it so evocative, just moving our center of focus always to to the other and outside of ourselves. Well, one, of the, one of the great lessons that one learns if, when you learn about how the planet works is that things that grow exponentially eventually blow up. And that includes mm. population, that includes economic growth, that includes, you know, you can't just keep growing exponentially forever. Mm-hmm. At some at some point, the you run out of something or the system blows up. And so, growth. Just thinking about growth is something that we need to have a conversation about. Uh, if growth is measured simply in terms of dollars, if it's simply a GDP kind of thing, then you're. It's a very difficult challenge in the future. Mm. But if growth is measured in terms of our growth our moral growth, our spiritual growth, our growth as a species. Um, and we've got a long way to go. We're good, but we're not there. I think if you measure growth in those terms, then uh, it's a very kind of approach. And, and one in which I think uh, you do get closer to a truly sustainable future. 
and, mm. and you get closer to uh, being better stewards of God's creation. This Marxist moment is brought to you by this week's uh, sponsor <clears throat> on the pod, Seized Ru- Russian Compounds. Uh, seized <laughs> Diplomatic Russian Compounds. So. Are we selling those off, by the way, or are we giving them back? <laughs> No, they're just they're, they're their own entity. If you're interested in purchasing a seized Roman, uh, Russian compound, uh, just ch- check out their website. They're great. We got a discount code. Uh, okay. Um, just <laughs> just enter the discount code P bless America. Or wait, pod pod bless P B R P B R. Pod bless. This is also brought to you by P B R for the good times. <laughs> Oh my! Zach's been really working hard to get us a sponsor. Speaking of sustainable growth, and we we want to, um, you know, move into that sustainable podcast future. If the Chinese want to send us checks, uh, Jim's secret Russian donors want to send us checks. You know, some Bitcoin over the dark web. Bitcoin I mean, dark web, Silk Road, whatever. You know, we've always been open to that. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate your uh, your your reclamation of the idea of growth as something that doesn't just happen to GDPs, but it happens to people. And, and that's, and that that's where we should be really locating our, our value. I mean, that's, you know, as somebody who does advocacy for this church, um, that is a message that I find running through a lot of our social uh, statements and, and the way this, the ways that we have proclaimed our values publicly. And that's a message that uh, I think, you have put better words to that maybe I can can carry more clearly in our our state level advocacy because so much of it is predicated on working towards a future and and systems that aren't purely about uh, profit and economic growth but that are about um, valuing individual people and their their inherent dignity in other ways as well. So, well, I, so I think also va- valuing the environment and I think that's a you know, one of the I, I'm looking out the window now, and it's not a bad place to live. Mm. It's a beautiful place. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have been given a remarkable gift, mm. and uh, we we really ought to consider that and and think about how well we are treating that, how well we are preserving that, and how well we are making sure that Zelda has the same kind of Colorado to play in that we have. It's a bit more complex than people versus profit, right? I mean, profit, we're saying um, in our heads, uh, we do the shortcut to to individual sort of like liquid assets, right? In the same way, there can be many different growths, right? There's we have to have a conversation about what 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 is profit? Who profits? uh, What makes a thing profitable? No, I think that's true. I think that there are many ways to measure growth. There are actually many metrics out there that are used. It's not just, you know, how many dollars are in society. You know, there are many other measures of societal growth, including happiness index and um, how many people have access to health care. Not at all a hot button issue around this country. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that that are that are uh, measures of, of happiness and measures of well-being of people. Mm-hmm. I, that's something we get into in, in ENVS 1000, the, the course I teach, and just it's a blatant advertising going on. Here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> NVS 1000, uh, another sponsor of the pod this week. 
I just have students students sign up now. Yeah. Is, is, that an eight, is that an eight a.m.? Because I I don't I can't do that. That's a little early. Yeah, Zach Zach doesn't do anything before eleven thirty or so. I, I, I would like to point out that I don't do anything at eight o'clock. Of any importance. Uh, NVS one thousand. What else? Uh, what's what's next for you? What do you got going? Can people are you on tour? Can people buy tickets to the show? What's the yeah yeah? We're we're going out on the road. Um, I go out on the road frequently. I probably give about two to three public talks per month. Mm. Uh, um, I'm always open to if anyone out there says, hey, you know, this guy uh, made a modicum of sense. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to hear more. Uh, shoot me an email, james.white at colorado.edu. Also, if you're interested in having Jim come speak to you, uh, you yeah. can also email us and we can say yeah. that was a joke about this guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> white at colorado.edu? Bingo. Or you can get a hold of anyone in the podcast and they know how to get a hold of me. And we, That's we true. Including, including the little girl. We'll make the connects. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, uh, it's, are you, uh, are you out on, uh, any research expeditions in the near future? Uh, what's, what's your next excursion for data? I'm, personally. So right now I have, uh, two members of my lab are up in the top of the Greenland ice sheet. Wow. Place called East Grip, Greenland Ice Project. Um, and they are up there, uh, drilling a new deep ice core. I, wow. I could not go this summer because uh, my daughter got married uh, last week. So. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. And that was a requirement that uh, I be here. <laughs> that you be here and not in northern Greenland? Right. I mean, I can't imagine. I think destination I, wedding. Could we not I, think I, about that? I only say that because, you know, the, the other guy on the conversation has a daughter and, and he needs to be reminded every now and then that he's got to show up. <laughs> Destination wedding. We're going to great. I think it would be fantastic. Anyway, no, it was wow. a it was a great wedding, and um, but I do have a couple people up there right now. Um, we have a, another ice core project uh, that we're working on down in Antarctica, but we're not drilling right now because it's cold and dark, twenty four hours a day. I also work on. Uh, I think I might have mentioned I work on something called the modern carbon cycle, where mm-hmm. I I measure uh, we measure. Uh, how much CO2 is in the atmosphere and where it goes. I do that in conjunction with NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And one of the reasons I raise that is uh, the president's budget would very much like to make uh, monitoring of greenhouse gases go away. Mm. This is something that I encourage all of those dozens of podcast listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is your, your federal dollars um, do a lot to... Uh, help us understand how the planet functions. And uh, right now they're trying to cut that off. And I think that's a bad idea. And our Chinese listeners, if, uh, you know, uh, let's make sure your Chinese, maybe think about buying out Noah. It could become a, a part of the Chinese government. Well, we need we need someone to keep supporting and funding this work. So, but in, in the meantime, we will continue our advocacy Yes. To ensure Good. that our shared federal dollars are spent on this very important research. Yep. Thank you. So, well, it's it's much appreciated. I appreciate the um, the reminder that the scientific endeavor uh, always continues, and that there's always new new data to be measured, new uh, facts to be gleaned, 
and to be assembled in the narrative of uh, inquiry and thought that we are uh, also called to do in this world. It's our part of our vocation in our discipleship. And so I'm grateful for your work and for and for what you do. So so thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for uh, thank you guys for, uh, for having a very entertaining and uh, enlightening podcast. Yeah, looks like it's going to be a two parter. Uh, so we got this part. We get a little science here stuff. Uh, you guys can uh, get excited for get ready. It looks like we're in the second part. Let me read my notes here. It looks like we're going to have uh, Scott Pruitt is going to be on the podcast uh, to talk. Wait, sorry. <laughs> They're handwritten. Um, Wrong. Scott Pruitt. Yeah. Is he the administrator of the EPA? Yes. I think so. Yeah. We couldn't quite get him. I think Uh, Tara Tara Rowe, it looks like, uh, who's a kind of eco-theologian to give us uh, more explicitly uh, theological take on uh, climate stuff and the environment. Excellent. Well, have fun. We will. That ought to be fantastic. I mean, this is absolutely a subject that merits more than... Uh, more than an hour's work, and and even even in our abbreviated conversation, um, I think we still covered a lot, though. And we'll have to we'll have to have you back on just so we can hear stories about Bill Nye at the wedding reception. He came. Bill Nye. I saw Don't that t- on the Facebook. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me Bill Nye? Is this? Are you are you pulling my leg? Because that I'm I'm getting nice. excited about this wedding. Yes. What? Oh, sweet. That's incredible. All right. We'll have a whole podcast dedicated to... Well, on that note, guys. (laughs) All right. Leave us with that exciting morsel. Well, thank you again, Professor Dr. James White. Uh, We are grateful for your work and for joining us on the show today. All right. You guys uh, take care and uh, enjoy your 4th of July. May God bless you. May God bless you. And may pod bless the United States of America.